Kristen Moore says they can hear me. Okay, so here's what happened. My microphone was muted. Um, we, we go one week live in person in the parking lot and all of a sudden I forget completely how to do this. So we were having crazy technical difficulties this morning. So sorry about that. Sorry about the delay. Um, I don't usually go directly into Facebook. Usually I'm using like a third party and all, like all that stopped working today. So, um, so every, everything is, everything is weird. Everything is different. Super sorry. How's everybody out there? Okay. I know. Um, okay. So, okay. I'm really glad the sound is working too. <laughs> According to Kristen, as long as, as long as Grant and Kristen can hear me, um, we're, we're good to go. So, um, let me see here, which raises the question, when are we going back to in-person every week? It's a great question. Um, originally we had planned, hopefully before, like next week or the week after, we're still having problems with, uh, the building and some, it, like long story basically, but, um, but long story short is we're still waiting for, um, the building to be able to clear some some problems or some issues with the flooring and anyway it's a whole thing but um once all that stuff gets taken care of we should be able to go back to some form of in-person services and so i'm hoping I'm, I'm hesitant to even say a date but i'm hoping for may the second that's that's my that that would be a dream come true that would be amazing but um it may end up being more like mother's day but we'll, we will see um so who else Grant, Kristen, and the dog are ready. Nancy Carmack uh, can hear. Okay, hope ever feel free. Feel, usually, I can't see the the comments, but today I can. So feel free to to holler back, you know, and see, you know, let me let me know that you're there. Let me know how things are going. Let me know that you can hear, or um, you know, that that you elected to to watch outside because it's a beautiful day. So anyway, um, yeah, like I mentioned, we're gonna hopefully be back sometime in May. My, my hope is May the 2nd. It may be closer to mid-May. Ramses Polito, good morning. Um, and then um, once we get back to in-person in services, one of the questions that we're trying to figure out is how do we, uh, how do, we do a children's ministry? We're, we're working on all sorts of safety protocols, all sorts of masking and sanitiz sanitization uh, procedures and all sorts of things like that. Uh, but one of the things we are absolutely going to need are volunteers. We're going to need people who are willing to at least once or twice a month sit in at least one classroom. Um, Tierney Hernandez, our children's pastor, has promised to make it as easy and user-friendly as possible to make it not at all intimidating to anybody who's not used to volunteering in that capacity. But uh, we do not currently have the resources to pay interns to do uh, a lot of the children's ministry work that they were doing before we went into quarantine last year. So uh, we are going to be reliant on volunteers. And the, the number of volunteers that we have is going to be directly is going to directly impact how many classrooms we actually can reopen. So uh, we'll, we'll triage. We'll go with the, the, the biggest, the most immediate needs first, like which which ages uh, are, are most represented and would, would most probably benefit from having a class open. And we'll just go from there. So, uh, so if that's something that you can do, I realize it's like, it's been a year since you had to interact with somebody else's kids, possibly, unless you're a teacher, uh, in which case, God bless you. Um, but uh, anyway, so if that's, if that's something that you can do, if that's something that, um, that, that you have the time or the energy to do, or you're just like, I really 
want to see us go back uh, to normal as, as much as possible, then uh, we, we would love to have your help. And if you can do that, you can message Tierney Hernandez, again, our children's pastor. If you don't know her contact info, uh, reach out to me and I will send it over to you. And um, I think that's pretty much it. If you want to make a donation to Collective Church, you can go over to our website, collectedchurch.net, and there's a link where you can do that. You can also make a donation to the North Texas Food Bank or to the Austin Street Center. And um, we, we support those organizations as well through just uh, trying to point people in their direction. So that's, I think that's pretty much all I've got. Looks like Kaylin Latimer is with us. Good morning, Kaylin. So, um, and everybody, I love, I love that people have to put into their comment and we can hear you, uh, because that's where we're at with it. Hopefully we, we're not much longer for this exact format. And I won't have to start every, actually, it's funny because even last week in the parking lot, I did because our sound system um, was broken. I, I, I had to ask, can everybody hear me? So even in, even in person, I still have to ask the question, can you hear me? Um, all right. Well, I think that's pretty much all I've got on the announcement front. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of John chapter 20. Uh, full confession here. I was not actually scheduled to preach today. Um, Christina Gibson was originally scheduled to be with us. And then she ended up having a conflict and we had to switch to her to next week. So, um, so I only had a little while to, um, to, to look at the lectionary and figure out like, okay, well, what, what is today going to be? What, what is, the, what is the Sunday after Easter traditionally meant to be? And it's funny because it picks up kind of like right where things leave off. And, um, I don't know why I felt like I needed to tell you about like how I wasn't originally meant to, to preach until like a couple of days ago. It's just, I always feel like I have to let people know, like, look, if, if I fall on my face or if I can't get the technology to work, it's possibly because my brain just like wasn't, um, wasn't expecting all of these challenges right now at this moment. So I, I don't know. I don't know why I feel like I have to do that, but I do. So anyway, we're looking at the book of John and we're really, it's funny. We really are picking up right where we left off last Sunday. So last Sunday, we looked at the resurrection scene of, of Jesus and how there, there's this moment in a garden where there, there's this realization that all things are being made new. And now we're to the point in the story where Jesus's closest followers are kind of cluing into what is going on and that the tomb is empty and that Jesus has returned. So in John chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 19, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Um, which sounds like it, that would startle them. And so it's funny that you would like startle somebody with a peace be with you. But that's, it seems what, exactly what Jesus did. So then it says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So there's this moment immediately following when the, the original followers are told by a woman named Mary Magdalene that Jesus has risen from the dead. And now Jesus is standing in front of them, showing them, I have, my, I am alive. And here are my, here are the wounds from my crucifixion that I can show you. So that's the scene here. Now the scene that we're actually looking at comes about four verses later. And this is kind of a famous scene. And it's funny that we tend to look at the scene without considering what we just looked at, because what we just looked at should actually inform what we're about to look at. But We'll look at it anyway, and we'll see what goes on. So in verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not one of the disciples when Jesus came. In other words, for whatever reason, Thomas isn't in the room when Jesus originally shows up and shows them that he is alive. Um, and then so it says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, said to them, 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, which, gross, um, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So he's still with them, even though he doesn't necessarily like believe their story. And so it says, unless I, um, sorry, so it says a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, so because of this one story, because of this one passage in this one part of the Bible, Thomas, this guy Thomas, has spent the past 2,000 years being almost exclusively referred to as Doubting Thomas. And it's always referred to in like a negative, right? Like no one is ever referred to as a Doubting Thomas in a positive way. No one ever, no, no one ever says it as a compliment. Like that guy's, love that guy. He's such a Doubting Thomas. No one ever says that. So because of this one scene, because Thomas happens to be like, I don't know, like on a food run or something, when Jesus shows up the first time, he misses out on the original scene. And now he's got like this negative nickname that has followed him through two millennium. So millennia? Anyway. Um, so what we have here is we have this terrible, super unfair nickname that Thomas has acquired simply because he happened to have not been in the room at the same time as the rest of the disciples when they were shown the exact same things before they believed also. Peter, which by the way, like, and I forget who I first heard say it. It actually might've been like, like, a, like a cartoon in some sort of like um, biblical satire. But basically it's, it's like Thomas has this nickname, Doubting Thomas, but Peter does all sorts of negative things and never gets a bad nickname. Like Peter is never referred to as denying Peter or like one time, one time Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's true. One time Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. No one has ever referred to Peter as Satanic Peter. But we have, but Thomas, poor, sweet Thomas, <laughs> has forever known, forevermore been referred to here as Doubting Thomas. So what I wanna do now is I wanna preach a whole sermon in defense of Thomas. I feel like Thomas has gotten a raw deal and I don't like it. I feel defensive of Thomas and so I wanna defend Thomas. The other disciples also, by the way, again, what, what do we just look at in verses 19 and 20? Because here, here's the thing, go, go back. They have also been told by Mary Magdalene that Jesus has risen from the dead. They've, they also had to be told and then shown. But um, so the other disciples don't believe until they see Jesus too. It's just that they all happen to have seen him before Thomas did. Look at, um, in fact, the, um, the juxtaposition of seeing and then believing happens all through this story. Look at verse eight, go back to, which is what we looked at last week. In, uh, John chapter 20, verse eight, it says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again, remember the foot race between Jesus or John and Peter, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. So John is talking about himself. It says, also went inside, he saw and believed. So John doesn't believe until he sees either. And then if you go back to the one we looked at just earlier, just a few minutes ago in verse 20, where it says, after he said this, after Jesus says, peace be with you, he showed them, the other disciples, minus Thomas, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So again, 
seeing and feeling some sense of belief or overjoyness or, or some, some sense of connection to this story is it, it, it's, it's directly like these two things are connected. So Thomas, poor Thomas doesn't get, it, he, he just happens to not be there. So we, t we refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas, but if he had been with, with the disciples or if one of the other disciples hadn't been there, it would have been them. This, this is not just a Thomas thing. Thomas doesn't have a specific problem. It just happens to have been Thomas that this happened to. And there aren't other stories where Thomas is featured. And so this is the only story we have where Thomas is a featured player in the, in the narrative. So he, now he's always referred to as doubting Thomas. So, and then even before they all believe, by the way, notice Jesus doesn't like, he, he's not super mad about any of this. Even before they believe, what does Jesus say? The first words out of Jesus's mouth before anybody believes is what? Peace be with you. Jesus doesn't, doesn't appear and say like, are, are you guys finally going to believe now that I'm standing right here? No, he opens with peace be with you. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in, in our church is sort of the, almost the virtue or the necessity of doubt. Because I think doubt often, especially in church environments or environments of faith, um, doubting gets a bad rap. In lots of church environments, we treat doubt like it's some kind of disease or like, like something we need to cure or avoid at all costs. Like, like doubt, doubt is a thing that, that we're trying to, to eradicate or that we're trying to, pr to press down upon or to get out of the building in some sort of way or another. We talk as if belief without doubt is the greatest of virtue. Like, like it's almost like these two things are like these binary things, either you have belief or you have doubt. And if you have belief, you're good. And if you have doubt, you're bad. And so we tend to sort of have this dualistic approach to the notion of doubt as if this is this, is this bad thing that we're trying to get rid of so that we can have more of this good thing. And, and we talk as if belief without doubt is some, some sort of great virtue and that questions or doubts are, some, are a result of some sort of moral failure. And in, in fact, I remember the, the first time I ever like, genuinely encountered an adult who, who, who expressed openly like their doubts about God. Like I remember the first time I ever met uh, I, I, in college when the very first professor I ever had who was openly agnostic, which being agnostic is basically a way of saying like, I don't know. And which, which actually now that I think about it seems a lot more virtuous than I gave it credit for at the time. But I thought like agnostic, like th that, was, that, that, was such a, that was such a scary notion to me. That someone would, that someone's belief system would revolve around the notion of not knowing something, you know. And I love in this passage here, Thomas expresses a little bit of agnosticism, right? He's like, "Listen, I just don't know. I'll, I'll believe when I have the the same encounter that you guys had. I'm not asking for a lot. I'm just asking that I had the same experience that the other ten guys had, right?" And so. Um, and, and so I remember, again, I remember sort of this, this fear of people or, or the, the notion that, that somebody else's doubt might like get on me, that it might be contagious, that, that if I listen to somebody or if I have too many interactions with somebody who experiences doubt, then what if, what if they get inside my head? What if they confuse me? And then, then I also experience some level of doubt or agnosticism or I, I'm able, or I have this, this thing of like, what if, what if there are things I don't know? And that's terrifying if you grew up in a system that teaches you that certainty is a virtue. And so I remember before we started Collective, back when I, I used to work at this other church, a very large church, um, I, had, um, 
I had what, what what I often have referred to as a faith crisis or like specifically one specific night. I had like a real dark night of the soul where I had this feeling of like, what if everything is wrong? What if, what if everything I have ever learned, what if everything that I've ever taught to other people, what if everything that I've ever believed, what if everything that I've ever said in public, what if all those things turn out to be wrong? What if I've been wrong about everything? And this created this massive faith crisis. And I made the mistake of confiding in a coworker who also happened to be a little bit higher on the, um, the organizational chart than me. And so he, he had the power to fire me or get me fired. And so I, I confided in this guy and what he told me, not as a piece of advice, but as like a warning, he told me, he said, listen, don't tell anybody. Like, cause we were, we were members of a small group. Um, I had other friends in the church that, that I was, you know, close with and his, his, I mean, warning to me was don't tell anybody, don't tell your small group. Don't tell other people who go to the church. He said, you can talk to me about this and that's it. That's what he told me because the, the fear that he had was if a staff member of this church, if a teaching pastor at this church confesses to other people in the church that he's experiencing doubt, then it might undermine sort of like the overall message that the church is trying to present, which is again, like belief is a virtue and doubt is a moral failing of some sort. And so I did what I was told for a long time. I started seeing a therapist, thankfully, but other than that, I kept all of this to myself. Um, I didn't even like talking about it when I was at home, really, because there was, because um, I, I didn't want to, like, like I said, I didn't want to infect anybody with this. I, I was afraid I had like, a, like some sort of like disease that, that I, was, I was trying to like protect other people from, that, that, my, that my doubt was a problem, that, that it was a failing of mine of some sort. And, um, and, and I wrestled with that for a long time. In fact, for, for almost not the entire rest of my time at that church, but close to it. It, it was not long after that, that that I ended up leaving that church. Um, not necessarily of my own free will, but probably for the best. And so, um, but I remember, I remember sort of the, the, the thing that kind of shook me out of my dread about that. And it's funny because when, when, I was, when I was going through it, there was a lot of dread and there was a lot of fear that there was something wrong with me. And then somebody... Uh, pointed me towards this passage in Genesis 32, which I've used a lot. If you've been around here at Collective Church for a long time, then you've seen this, you've, or you've, you've heard us talk about this before. Um, but in Genesis 32, you've got this guy named Jacob. And Jacob has kind of been through his own journey in a lot of different ways. Like he's had, there goes a FedEx truck. Um, so J Jacob has... Um, he, he has stolen his brother's identity. He's stolen a lot of other, he's stolen his brother's blessing from his father, which is a big deal in this culture. He has defrauded his father-in-law. He's, he's got, he's done a lot of things that have put him in the crosshairs of lots of different people. And so now here in Genesis 32, Jacob is sort of having to face who he's been and what he's become and what he believes about himself and what he believes about God. And so in Genesis 32, um, beginning in verse 24, there's this very strange scene that, we've, that, that we see. And um, again, beginning in verse 24 says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. We don't know who this man is. We don't know where he came from. He just shows up and just starts wrestling like, like you do with strangers when you're sitting next to a river. So it says, Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. 
Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak, which I don't know. Like, how do you know? Is that like someone like dinging the bell? Like, okay, nighttime river wrestling matches over the, the, the sun is coming up. So says, but Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So, um, so that's the blessing that Jacob, or, so the, the blessing that Jacob receives is your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. And what does Israel mean? If you have a footnote in your Bible, as I do, you can look down and you can see Israel probably means he struggles with God or he wrestles with God. So now this is the first time, this is the first mention of the name that will become known as the name of this entire people group. Like there is a country on the map today called Israel, right? And so the name of this people group that will be followed throughout the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, the name that this, the, it, it doesn't mean for he has great faith or for he has never had another doubt. What, is this, what does the name here mean? The very name that is given to this group of people that is meant to represent God in the world, the name that is given to this group of people is he wrestles with God or he struggles with God. Israel does not mean those who have the strongest faith. In one of the earliest stories that we have, the people that God chooses to carry shalom into the world are referred to those who wrestle with God. I have been through seasons of massive doubt. I, it, is, it is possible that there's no other disciple in the narratives of Jesus that I more identify with than Thomas in this scene. I have been through seasons of massive doubt. I still go through them. I still have moments where I wonder if there, there are things I'm not seeing, if there are things that I don't, and the answer is always like, of course there are things you're not seeing. There, there are always gonna be things that you've not thought of that you're not seeing. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old. Like there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of life I haven't lived and there's lots of things I don't know. And I think one of the fallacies of, of the American, specifically the American faith journey is, is that we're, try, we're trying to sell people a narrative of certainty. And what we find is that was never the narrative that we were invited into. The, the whole story, the, the story of this people begins with he who struggles with God. It's about wrestling. It's about trying to figure things out. It's about, it's about not knowing. It's about knowing about, it's about knowing how much you don't know or having, having the sense that there's so much more that I have to learn and to see. So like I said, I've been through seasons of massive doubt and I still go through them. I have times where I don't know what I think. And that's all part of the journey. Um, uh, this was this past week was an incredibly busy for, week for me. It was, this is was one of the busiest weeks that I can remember. Um, it was almost more than I could handle, quite frankly. And I, um, I kind of, in fact, when uh, just full disclosure, when when Chris, Christina asked me like, "Hey, can we switch?" My first thought was like, "No, like we may just have no sermon at all. Like there, there's just no way." that I can sit down and like commit something to paper. I just don't have the mental energy. And then I saw that it was about Thomas and I thought like, oh, I get, I've actually never preached about Thomas, which is weird because I, I spend so much time thinking about doubt and questions, but I've never actually taken time to, to look into this particular story. Um, I've, I've never taken the time to defend Thomas as Thomas I think deserves to be defended. Um, it, so it, it's in those moments, in, in these moments where I, I feel um, like it's been a busy week or like, I'm just so I, like the ground beneath my feet is so shaky just because I, I, I barely have had time to breathe. 
um, it, it's in those moments where I find myself losing my bearings and I feel disoriented. And these passages, passage, like stories about people like Thomas or the story where Jacob wrestles with God, these passages are a reminder that God meets me in those places too. That when Thomas doubts, Jesus doesn't show up to reprimand him. Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. Um, look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2, um, this writer Paul is, is writing to this early group of, of followers of Jesus, of believers. And one of the things he says here is he says, Therefore, my dear friends, in verse 12, sorry, in Philippians 2, 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in, a, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What, is it, what does he even mean by that work out? Like, because again, we've been sold like this package of here, take this, believe in this thing and don't ever not believe in this thing. We've been sold a, it's again, it's a binary. You're either in or you're out, you're right or you're wrong, you believe or you have doubt. And Paul has this language of work out your salvation. No, when I went to youth camp when I was a kid, I was pretty sure what they told me was believe and then you're good. Believe in this thing and then that's all, like that's the whole journey, right? But according to Paul, it, that's not how it works. For Paul, it's, this is a thing that we work out. This is, this is a journey that we're on. This is, it's a process. It's not something that we just receive or that we accept and we just think like, okay, well now I guess I just wait to die or something like that. No, the whole thing, it's, it's part of the journey. Some days we, we have this like very strong sense that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And then other days we think like, what in the world are we doing? Uh, there, there are days when we wrestle and then there are days when we don't. And Paul says, yeah, all that's part of the journey. And that's, that's why there's a lot here to work out. Working it out means we don't have it all figured out. It means we never reach some sort of imaginary finish line where our beliefs are validated and everything just locks into place and everything is just like locked into cert certitude. If um, li life is a process of working it out or working out our salvation, of figuring out what it means to follow Jesus in this time and in this place, what it means to believe in something that's bigger than ourselves. It's, by the way, again, it's also worth noting that Thomas's doubts weren't just about Jesus. I think, I think that often gets missed. I think people, people tend to assume that Thomas's doubts are about Jesus, but it's not just about Jesus. It's also about the other guys in the room. Um, it's like Thomas's doubts are also rooted in like the credibility that he finds in the other disciples, um, which I think is, is really interesting because I think a lot of times our struggles with what we believe have less to do with God and more to do with how other people have represented God to us. Um, so maybe your doubts are rooted in what someone else has always told you about Jesus. And it turns out that you were right to be skeptical about those stories because that person, that group, that organization, they gave you some bad information. They gave you some harmful information. And I, th I think a lot of our doubts are rooted in how we see other people and how other people have carried the name of Jesus into our lives. If you've been sold a version of Jesus that is hateful towards types of people, that tends to hate all the same people that you hate, amazingly, um, if you've been sold a Jesus that is fine with the suffering of the least of these, if, you, if you've been sold a Jesus that is fine with um, people who are starving, 
with people who are displaced. If you've, if you've been sold to Jesus, that tends to always vote the same way that the people who told you to follow Jesus always vote. And you thought like, mm, I'm not totally sure about that. Maybe it's not God that you're doubting. Maybe it's not Jesus that you're doubting. Maybe it's the people who brought you the story. Because again, Thomas isn't just doubting Thomas isn't just doubting resurrection of Jesus. Thomas is doubting the people who, who are bringing the story to him. And sometimes people will bring us a story and it's not totally wrong that we think like, mm, I don't know about that. I think, I think there are times when people represent the name of Jesus and even Jesus is saying like, it's fine for me if you want to put some doubt on that. Like there is, um, there's some real dark, harmful narratives out there that have words like Jesus and God and Bible that are attached to them. You know what I mean? So, um, wherever you are, strong belief, strong doubt, somewhere in between, that's okay. It, that's, that, that is where Jesus meets us. And if you are in a place where you're wrestling and you don't know what to think, and you're just sort of in this like kind of liminal in between of like, so, some, days, some days I feel like I'm just sort of not sure about any of it. Yeah, that's okay. Because Jesus meets you in that place and he doesn't reprimand you. He says, peace be with you. So my hope for each of us is that we find ourselves in the midst of that story. So if you're doubting, that's fine. Name your doubts, embrace your doubts. A lot of times the wrestling means you're growing and that's good. Wherever you are, it's okay. Because that's where Jesus meets you and says, peace be with you. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for uh, this space and this time and this um, the story of doubt. We, we pray that we would uh, remember Thomas with a lot more sympathy and a lot more grace than we tend to. And we pray that we would give ourselves that same amount of sympathy and grace. We pray that we would be compassionate with ourselves when we are struggling and when we are wrestling, when we are doubting. May we embrace those moments as part of the journey. And for those of us who feel displaced specifically because of our doubts, may we remember that this is a story about a people who are referred to as those who struggle with God. May we find ourselves in that tradition and in that story. May we find peace even in the moments when we don't know what else to think or to say or to believe. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all so, so much for being with us. Sorry about all the technical difficulties before. Uh, let's all pray and hope and wish for a early to mid-May return to the building. We will see you soon. Grace and peace be with you.